Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Offen. Joe, it's it's been a while. It's been about like a month since we released an episode. I, I kind of missed... It's been that long. I, I was looking, yeah. It, it really has. And, you know, I, I think there's there's plenty of obvious good reasons why we haven't been on mic in a while. But um, maybe before we just start, you know, getting all ranty, I, you know, I just want to say it's good to hear your voice. It's it's I, I miss this voice when I don't get to hear it on the regular. Yeah, I know we we text a lot, but we don't actually get voice to voice as often as as we'd like, probably. Not enough, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, so uh, we'll just build off of that. The the last episode we did record, it was a little know, more winded, a little <laughs> discouraged, a little bit, yeah, burdened. I think we were saying before we yeah. recorded it. It's just it was a reflection on you know, this 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 last few months of of. Uh, the movie season of this summer movie season has just been has been rough. And um, I, I don't know how much more we need to belabor it, but it's like it doesn't look like it's getting any better uh, with the yeah. with what's happened, what's come out lately. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every summer the argument could be made that's like no different this year. It just feels more cemented and more kind of like exhausted and awful and like pessimistic. But it's just like this the tent poles have become the only experience and those that aren't tent poles just sort of like wash out, you know, like they just don't, you know, unfortunately, like even, even if they're, you know, solid releases like pop star, you know, came out was not, you know, it was, it was not a big sort of known franchise affiliated title and it did, didn't do well. I think it'll finally find its audience somewhere along the line. But like movies like that are just like kind of rinsing out. There's no surprise hits. Like the surprise hits are the tentpole movies that everybody sort of chalked up to being awful. Yeah. Like Star Trek. You know, people are just like, well, this one looks like shit. And then like people are like, that's pretty good. But it's just like that sort of shrugging. It's pretty good. It's like that to me, that's as depressing sometimes. Sometimes more. As the yeah, as the rest of the sort of like just cash register effects of like re re-energizing the the Bourne franchise for no reason, or you know like just any number of the the the, the different franchises that like pop back up just out of obligation. August is like traditionally the wasteland where like some of the sort of edgier titles can sort of like have a fighting chance because they they just know that the rest of the studios are just using it as a dumping ground for stuff that wasn't didn't have a competitive edge over the earlier parts of the summer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it feels like there aren't any of those edgy exciting choices you know there's no, no straight out of compton so far you know oh so, man what uh, i wouldn't give for for for, for that or I for mean, a sequel to straight out of compton <laughs> hell yeah i'd take a sequel to that movie absolutely franchise it <laughs> well the the end credits of straight out of compton were basically the sequel i guess it's they, true they yep. all got rich except what? for easy <laughs> yep um but yeah i mean i guess the the place we find 
edginess in any form or just originality or a bold vision is increasingly and uh, you know i think there's a time it probably still exists between you and me that this depresses us a little bit to acknowledge that most of the things that might be even just of interest to us because they have a vision to them is living on vod and and yeah. we're not gonna you know uh get into a ton of titles on this episode that are in vod we we've done in the past every now and again we'll just look at what is there to, to see that isn't really getting much of a theatrical release but um uh, this one, uh, I, I just there's one that I feel like is at least a must recommend. You know, th- for anybody that likes art cinema, whatever art house movies, like I'd say this is the one to look to look at right now, and you can rent it right now. And it's um, the Childhood of a Leader. I am your father, and you will show some respect. One. It's the directorial debut from uh, Brady Corbett, the actor we've championed a bit on this podcast, actually. Um, uh, his work with Borderline Films, uh, showing up in like Marthy, Martha, Marcy May Marlene, and Simon Killer. Mm-hmm. Love his performance. You know, showing up in little like European auteur films like Force Majeure and stuff like that. Uh, an actor that I really, really like and have been loving just tracking his career. And then here he comes with this. This this film, Childhood of a Leader. Now, Joe, you haven't seen it, but what do you know of this movie? I'm just very curious. Like, um, what do, what do you know about this movie? I basically just know the synopsis that it's it's about like the the sort of upbringing of what's to possibly become a sort of Hitler like uh, figure in a in a fascist country. I don't know if it's based on actual like his, like on an actual historical moment mm-hmm. or if it's like done in an abstract. It, but, it, it's. Um, it's definitely in the abstract. It's okay. So if you're, if you're, I would say that's, uh, I'm actually glad to hear you even say that. Cause I think some people might think, Oh, this is a movie about like the origin story of Hitler or Mussolini. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, upon reading and just seeing the film, it's pretty clear that this is just a fictionalized sort of amalgam of various people like Mussolini, like, like Hitler, other fascistic leaders, you know? Um, and, this movie, um, so, you know, don't go in thinking it's sort of like what I would equate it to is uh, when the master came out, a lot of people were like, oh, that's the that's the Scientology movie. But it's like right. this is much more in the vein of what PTA was doing with the master. It's he's 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 fictionalized it to but it's very representative of things we know from history. Um, this movie has a really bold structure. Uh, it's broken down, Joe, by by not by chapters, but by tantrums. And it literally comes up on screen like uh, there's three acts or three tantrums. And mm-hmm. it's it's just this little boy with this like long Goldilocks like haircut. Um, and he's just he's a little shithead. He's yeah. he's he's this movie to me is like the art house version of the omen. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got from the trailer. I will say the trailer for this movie is incredible. It's 
I think it's one of the better trailers I've seen this year. And I, um, upon seeing the film just once now, I, I actually kind of want to revisit it, but, um, seeing it once, I, I definitely had the feeling of like, wow, this idea kind of works better in a very bold two and a half minute trailer form, as opposed to, you know, a hundred minutes, but there's so much, uh, there's just so much, um, like a willingness to just say like, not fuck it, but like to go for something. Yeah. And that's what I think Brady Corbett, like it's really cool to see an actor who's worked with a lot of like auteurist visionary directors. Like he's clearly been taking notes right. and yeah, I just feel like he's kind of, he's like one of those actors and now a filmmaker that's like, he just feels like one of us. Like he's, he's trying to give us the audience um, at least those of us that want it, which probably aren't that many people, but something, something to chew on, something to think about and a fucking bold vision. So it's like, it's a movie I recommend, but like, you know, I, I, it's, it's not for everybody, but like, man, if you're just looking for something with a vision, with something to say, and it's like beautifully filmed, it has this crazy, um, this crazy score from Scott Walker, uh, that's just, it, it's like super atonal and loud and shrieking. It, it made me sad that I had to watch this. Um, it, it, it's not coming to Portland. As far as I can tell, it's not coming to a theater here. So <clears throat> I rented it on VOD and the, the movie plays fine on that, but boy, it's, it's, it can be a bummer when you see a film that's so designed and constructed for the theatrical, you know, sound yeah. and visual experience to, to not get it. It, it, it can be a bummer, but um, but yeah, but a movie to seek out, I would say. Yeah, it's it's interesting that like that there's still an effort, you know, I, I think because film is potentially just such an immersive experience that like the I, I think everything is usually catered towards the enormity of it. And even as like filmmakers and auteurs arguably, you know, start to like become less and less interested in the theatrical experience. Like Nicholas winding Refn has talked about how like, he's like, I like to watch stuff on my phone. Like what? Like, cause he makes these incredibly just like almost like tunnel vision immersions into an experience. Mm -hmm. And like it, it, you know, so it's, it's interesting as we're sort of like segueing into like these types of titles, these kind of like edgy and singular and specific types of movies, like, basically kind of only having a fighting chance on video on demand, like where, where they're, they're more startling than most big scale movies that are the only things playing theatrically. And they sort of, they deserve and should have like their, their time in the theater. And granted, like it, it played in Los Angeles, uh, I think like at a theater far, far away from me. Um, but it's just like, that's because, you know, in the city where like there's, hundreds of theaters and it like something's going to play somewhere you know eventually but it's like plays twice a day mm. somewhere in Pasadena you know and like yep. so you could if you sought it out but most people probably aren't going to and it plays its requisite week or two and then like your only opportunity to see it is on VOD where it's like it's being made by a filmmaker who's been you know, he's, he's pretty selective about the people he works with. Like he, he's worked with a, a type of filmmaker that is very like specific and is very visionary. And he's like picking up all these things and he's drawn to these visions for a reason. And like those things he's getting to, you know, clearly articulate now and, you know, through his own movie, which now I'm excited to see, I haven't yeah. seen, but like, I, I'm definitely, I'm excited to check it out. 
on my relatively decently sized TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to do what you can. I, I mean, it's just like it, it is worth seeking out. And I'm glad to, glad to hear that it you know still seems of interest because it's like there is maybe a part of this that I, I'm not trying to overrate the movie or right. uh, hype it up. It's got flaws for sure. But. It, it does. It does. But part of it is I think we, we've definitely talked about this. Sometimes the flaws in a movie are part of what makes it bold and exciting. Yeah. And, and and oftentimes it's those movies that I think this is what we're getting a lot this summer and what you and I are basically just you know, we're not buying what they're selling. The, the, the mainstream stuff is like they're so middling. They're so middling and um, just so just focus grouped into irrelevance, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That who it's like I, I there's nothing. It's it's like an instant forgettable wash away. And I think we're seeing not. I think I mean we were talking off mic. This is what's happening to the audience. It's like yeah, a lot of hubbub, a couple weeks of noise about a movie, a little bit of chatter here and there, and um, then it j- just drops off a cliff. And yeah, it's on to the next thing or it's on to something else. And um, I definitely think what we're the the main thrust of of this episode's conversation is going to be about you know something that has taken the cultural conversation and it never even played in a theater, and it's the it's the Netflix series Stranger Things, which um I don't know about you man, but this is all my friends are asking me about right now yeah. in the last two or three weeks since it since it debuted. This is Hawkins. I don't know the worst thing that's ever happened here in the four years I've been working here. It was when an owl attacked Eleanor Gillespie's head because it thought that her hair was a nest. Because it's longer form, because it's sitting on Netflix, like waiting for you to sort of get your opportunity to watch, you know, it at your own pace or all at once, as some people can do. But like it, it has like the benefit of having a longer sort of shelf life in terms of discussability. Stranger Things is clearly riffing on a sort of, you know, an era that's been iconized, um, is that a word? I don't, uh, I don't think it is, but let's, what the hell? <laughs> Iconified, also not a word. Um, but it's just been it's it's been so established, like in tributes to it, like so, like for decades now, like that that now, like I think my friend Ross said this, where he was like, the tribute has become its own movie. So it's just like this sort of celebration of a specific era, which Stranger Things does get. It takes all these different influences. And lets them all intersect and synergize into this kind of unique and revelatory thing where it's like it's got a little bit of Steven Spielberg mixing with Stephen King mixing with, you know, like Donnie Darko even at points. And it just all overlaps and is luckily all sort of like anchored and driven by characters and like richly developed characters in the script and then performed by an ensemble of mostly new people. And, like, that's the best. That's the best when you're just like, oh, shit. Like, who are these kids? Like, who's this teenage girl? Like, who are the, who's the dad? Like, everything is, like, everything sort of, like, bubbles with, like, this, this new sense of discovery. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, 
it's it's of this era and it evokes this era of 1983 um where like i think that because that was the advent of like the vhs boom like that was the time where people and you know cable tv people had an opportunity to watch and rewatch and live in and study and just sort of bury themselves in the stuff that they liked. Like they could watch E.T. over and over again, Poltergeist over and over again, slasher movies over and over again. And it became like a part, they knew every beat, every moment to moment. And that just doesn't with the, with the sheer volume of shit that we have to like sort through, like that just doesn't happen anymore. And I think because things are produced, knowing it's in this sort of like avalanche of insignificance, things aren't taking the chances and things aren't character driven the way they used to be because they're having to appeal to this ever shrinking attention span. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have the sense of like hooking into people and lasting and evoking the sense of like wonder and world building the way they used to. And so here's this thing that evokes this era and almost becomes a great example of a thing that was never produced in the era it's evoking. Right. There's a member of Tangerine Dream that spoke recently at a at an event that was sort of celebrating the music of Tangerine Dream and films. Nice. And the host was like he was like, look, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what you thought of Stranger Things. And he was like, I love it. I think it's great that like this is an era that obviously like I was a part of that I'm very familiar with. But like they like basically he said they picked the raisins out of the pie. I don't really understand that reference. He's awesome. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they eat raisin pie there or if they throw it in as a obstacle for people enjoying stuff. But like because it's an era that's so studied, the 1980s, the 1990s, like 70s, 80s, 90s, like because it's been so poured over, like people know how to do it. People know how to recreate it exceptionally well, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like it's a world that's like almost pre-designed, you know, like totally. it just and I think this is maybe where we can get into why people choose to kind of like focus on specific eras because of what they evoke. But like everything's if if you're period pieces are hard because like you have to like, you have to labor over what it looks like all these like tiny minute details that you have to pay attention to. Like Mm -hmm. that TV didn't exist then that song didn't come out until 1987, you know, like shit like that. It's hard work, but it's also a ready-made world. And that, that sense of immersion, I think, is so crucial to hook people, you know? And so, like, if you have something that's that evocative as, like, you know, middle America in, the 19, in, the, in 1983 with its own set of, like, music that's kind of beloved and, like, fashions that, you know, like, once they were reintroduced, never went away again. Um, <laughs> just look like they dress like I dress. Um, <laughs> but, like... I, I, yeah, I just think it's like it's interesting that like that people are setting things in that era because I think it's just harder and harder to capture a contemporary moment without it being immediately dated or embarrassing within 15 minutes. Right, right. Because of how fast technology is yeah. moving. And I feel like that's something that in a lot of modern day movies is becoming like the like criticism du jour is like, Oh, uh, that, that phone, like, um, 
you know, the Michael Mann movie Black Hat, not a great movie. Right. But I, I didn't complain about that movie. I didn't the things I didn't I didn't fault it if it wasn't technologically like sound. It's like sure. there's plenty of other things to like knock that movie about, but it's like it's just it's interesting how because we're you know like film criticism culture is merging with like tech culture you know just like everything else is that it's weird that that can be an easy like um we've talked about how it's like people need to weed through all the crap all the content to just decide what's worth it it becomes one of those easy like disqualifiers exactly yeah it becomes really easy so immediately you kind of you throw yourself back into a, an older era like they do in Stranger Things. I'm really glad you brought up Donnie Darko because I feel like I've, I've read and listened to a lot of you know reviews and discussion about Stranger Things and nobody is bringing up Donnie Darko. Yeah, I mean, it's got that quality and it's got like Donnie Darko was 2001 mm-hmm. and like I feel like the, the 80s nostalgia started like around 1996, like with Gross Point Blank and then... Like within the next few years, Wedding Singer and stuff like that, right. Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. And that was like a glossy kind of like pop 80s that was like, that was sort of readily packaged, ready for nostalgia. Mm. And like Donnie Darko hinted at this, diff- it kicked open a different door that brought with it all these like set of associations and all these feelings that like, that were moodier and that were like, that were like darker and sort of evoked more of a sense of wonder the way stranger things does. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. It's like, uh, to me, I, I, I'm glad you went back before Donnie Darko because just as I was watching Stranger Things, all I thought about was like, Donnie Darko is the seed. That's where this all started. But you're right. You had stuff like Wedding Singer and Gross Point Blank. Like, those are really the like the first co- couple seeds of like the 80s nostalgia just really starting to bloom. So um, I'm glad you were able to dig back, you know, a little bit further. But God, sure. all, all I thought about was Donnie Darko. I was just like, this is just like... That movie is so influential, even though it's still considered this like cult thing. Um, yeah. So just just sort of interesting in that way. But, um, you know, beyond that, like setting a movie in that era and Stranger Things, I think, really does a great job with this um, uh, is it allows you to build tension in a way that you wouldn't be able to in the modern day because things could be solved I guess in theory much easier with with cell phones and stuff like that but yeah it just it kills the process and it kills like the involvement and the drama of everything like even the the difference subtly with having kids who are like in search for their friend who's inexplicably gone missing into what turns out to be another dimension in the small town, you know, in 1983. Here's a plot synopsis for those of you who <laughs> swept up in uh the stranger things like, you know, hype <laughs> but like the kids communicating to each other through walkie talkies, like yeah, that, yeah. The, those were popular back then. And they're sort of, they're big and iconic. So you have that sort of hit and that sort of excitement of like remembering those. I never had them, but like they still are cool looking. And like the kids from war games had them, uh, not war games. I'm sorry. Cloak and dagger. Um, but uh, like seeing them talk to each other versus sending text, which is like, you can't represent that interestingly. Unfortunately, like we've seen text pop up on screen playfully in like comedies that are like of the modern era, but it's just like seeing kids text message to each other and seeing the inevitable deadness on their face as opposed to kids like kind of cracking and talking shit to each other through walkie talkies. It's just like it's built in that it's more interesting. It's more involving. It's more like exciting to watch, you know? Yeah, it's it's far more 
interesting to watch like someone do that on screen then yeah 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 there's no doubt and um what i like is um i guess you talked about all the actors in stranger things that are discoveries but i mean how about when's the last time we've had like a filmmaker discovery like this yeah i i didn't know who the duffer brothers were (laughs) until i saw that name pop up in the credits and i was like okay this is exciting these are um these are guys that clearly from what I had heard too, they wanted this, they pitched this as a movie. And I think Netflix was kind of the only thing that, that bit and said, expand it. And, um, I mean, it's just exciting to see filmmakers getting a chance to like, you know, follow through on a vision. And it seems like they had to sort of adapt it, expand on their vision for Netflix, you know, with a, you know, just a, you can basically make it as long or as short as you want in theory there. Like, it's it's cool to see them thrive in that way because this this in a lot of ways Stranger Things is coming what what I would argue is what feels like are we through this eighties nostalgia yet like apparently we're not but it, it oh I, I yeah this seems to have like it, it it's so effectively like has done it so it's so thoroughly that it's just like if there was any sort of like deadness to it where it's like enough all right it's okay but like th- i think people are begrudgingly trudging towards the 90s like all right let's dust off the 90s and see what's uh how about uh, we do like an empire records reboot fuck okay um <laughs> you know cuz you and i were cognizant enough in the 90s to acknowledge when things were not good you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i feel like and so Maybe we don't have the blind nostalgia. I'm a few years older than you, but like I definitely don't have the blind nostalgia for things that like people that are younger than I am do for the 1990s. But it feels like the 80s are just like it's been it's been 20 years basically since they've been, you know, like start since the nostalgia sort of train started for it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like now it's been two decades since we started <laughs> like salivating over the 80s so <laughs> it's just like, I guess they're not going anywhere really I know you think you'd be done with it by now but yeah Stranger Things has, seems to have like really just reawoken that in people and yeah um but part of me okay there there's a lot to be excited about this for one this is like definitely one of the like most enjoyable things I've watched in this summer like yeah. easily um and I think it's cool that there is a zeitgeist that can be captured you know like uh an excitement that can be captured um from something that's on a streaming service like that is a great example example of just the world we're in now and the exciting possibilities of it Mm -hmm. netflix is all about this right this nostalgia this thing like that is they can track it they can track what people are interested in so they know how to like package what people what they can see people are into yeah and they they are building their whole infrastructure is on that so like what are people watching well oh they they knew that enough people uh that subscribe to them watch enough adam sandler movies that they signed him for like four or five garbage movies which like what two or three of those have already come out and it's just like oh my god every anytime i go to netflix and see the new sandler movie pop up i'm just like happening yeah i can't well it is happening um, so yeah, they're, they're really trading on that. I mean, fucking full house came back on right. there, um, which like, I, I can't remember who I was talking to about that, but they're like, who is that for? Like, it's not for kids nowadays who are the only people who should be watching a show like that. Yeah. And like, 
you as an adult shouldn't like if you watch those shows again, those shows that really don't have like they had their place in time and you can acknowledge that. But like if you watch them now, you're just like, huh, this doesn't really click and connect the way it used to when it's all there was. Right. You know? I mean, hopefully that's how you feel. I mean, I haven't seen a minute of Fuller House and I don't expect to, but uh, I, I, I think we're safe to assume like what that experience is. Um, yeah, I hope people are being that. Well, but that, see, that's the thing I, that's a concern or that's something I just wonder about is like, in a way, is that what Netflix is, uh, encouraging in the viewers, you know, like by they're, they're just following what they deem as a successful model and to get people to subscribe and keep watching their content. But like, in a in another way, like we, we talk about our concerns of the way Marvel the Marvel movies have just altered big summer movies in such a way that they kind of, it's, it's like this fast food machine um, on fast forward where like, you've seen the new movie, just wait. Cause you'll forget about that. Cause here comes the next one. Six months yeah. later, Netflix is sort of doing the similar thing of like, well, it doesn't, you know, it, it, in another way, they're sort of training the audience to not care about quality as much. Like, it doesn't matter if, if you just got most of your people back from full house and that's you as an adult uh, still want to live in that world. Um, I mean, I guess I'd say there might be some other things to examine psychologically, but like, I don't want to judge too much, but uh, you know, really, I just, I worry about the effect it's going to have on the audience. Uh, yeah. I was concerned about this when like wet, hot American summer came out the, 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 um, first day of camp, the the thing that they brought back, you know, as like a prequel series, which that series was fine, the Wet Hot American Summer reboot. But like it also, it's like if it would have been just a movie, it could have been a great sequel. And I feel like there's this weird thing that Netflix is playing of like more, 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 make it, make it longer, indulge in that nostalgia because the audience just wants more of it as opposed to like the storytelling, the audience, what they need. I don't know. Right. I just, I feel like we're really seeing a, a big shift happen, but just it's kind of like incrementally happening with every one of these nostalgic reboots. Yeah. If you, if stranger things is like for you, if the algorithm has your number basically like mm-hmm. dialed in and it, it, then it's the best example of what could be a sort of scarily flawed system. That's not unlike basically the, the studio system churning out, franchise movies and comic book movies over and over again. It's just a sort of like a a sort of empty cash register effect of like, just put out more. And like they, they, you know, they, they sort of have like, they're safe so they can take more chances. And like, there's something exciting in that. And so when you get things like stranger things or like, you know, certain documentaries they'll put out. Yeah. And stuff like that, then it's just like that's great that they have the freedom and the sort of like foundation that's firmly enough in place that they can take chances. And like same with the Amazon Prime instant video that they like they're they're t- taking these movies that if they're not already made, they're like putting financing behind movies that can get made that are from these exciting filmmakers that like are starting to like not really feel like they have a footing in today's like theatrical landscape. Right. You know? Right. No, it seems like Netflix and Amazon and that they're kind of bringing that model back of like what how it used to work much more in the Hollywood system was you made some movies that you were just proud of, you know, stuff that yeah. whether they broke even or even lost a little bit of money, you 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 let your few big blockbusters that were sort of a guaranteed home run 
um, which that maybe never existed, but the, the sort of sure bets, you'd let those sort of make pick up the slack. But now that Hollywood and the big studios are really only primarily focused on the big sure bets, they of course become less sure bets and the filmmaking just becomes less interesting. And um, it's nice to see places like Netflix and Amazon try to pick up that slack of like, well, we can put out the tiny documentaries because that's a big part of their business model on, yeah. on those streaming services. People will watch them. Yeah, and it's, that's where people are watching them. Yeah, and I, I think that's really exciting. That's great. They're being seen and probably in more abundance than than b- before, you know, when it's just a lot harder to find those things. Mm-hmm. It's It's all very exciting. I love that there's this counterbalance and, you know, it's. I think these are the things that, um, even though you and I are just first and foremost, and will always, you know, till our last dying breath, like we want to go to the theater for the, for you know, our filmic experiences. Um, hell, I mean, Stranger Things. I, I see an era someday where stuff like Stranger Things could have a run in a theater. You know, like I, th- I could feel that happening at that event I went to that was like Tangerine Dream centric because they looped the the opening credit score, which like. The opening credits of Stranger Things is better than most shows. It like, is. <laughs> watching. And so they loop that theme. And like you can feel like the, this is an excitement of something that's happening right now. And the rarity of that experience where people are all sort of genuinely in awe of something as it's happening. I think that's where things get talked to death. Yeah. That's where things like there's a potentiality that like if someone – like misses the window of escalating hype about this show, they could walk in and be like, it's a big fucking deal. Look at all the plot holes. Who cares? You know, like, cause it's just like, it's such a, it's so rare that people are this kind of like unified in an excitement and an enthusiasm over something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but like you could feel that kind of crackling energy in the air that night where people are like, Oh, this is like, this is awesome. Like, I love, like, I love that this is happening. And I was like, well, you could, you know, you could have a marathon screening of that entire show, like in, in one, uh, you know, albeit uncomfortable sitting, you know, some people sit for seven, seven and a half hours for stuff. Yeah. It's like uh, either a Bellatar movie or a Netflix original series. And yeah, you're all set. It's a, yeah. uh, I, I side note, the opening credits, um, the, op- the, the track used for that to me was, um, I love the opening credits of stranger things yeah. too. I I'm with you. The flickering of the screen, the fucking Stephen King font. It's all right. perfect. But that track as great as that, that music cue is to me, it sounds extremely reminiscent of the, um, the Cliff Martinez uh, track for uh, Only God Forgives, the wanna fight when they when Ryan Gosling finally fights the Thai police officer, you know, it sounds like a slowed down version of that song. So I would say any listeners, uh, you know, compare, see if I'm right or not. I don't know. And it probably doesn't mean anything. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of this sort of synthy finite amount of synthesizers out there, you know, <laughs> like they all kind of produce the same sound. This is true. And, you know, it's just I, I, I guess. You know, I wish I had more insight to provide on that. It's just, I guess it's just another thing of like, we're all kind of trading on the same sort of sounds and effects and things that we like from that era, you know, like the Carpenter soundtrack. That's been something we've talked about for years now of how that's influencing a lot of indie genre stuff. Right. And it, it didn't feel like that was like, all right, we've reached like a critical mass. And so like this was like almost a pivot where it's like, mm, we're not done yet. You know, like <laughs> it, it did, did it, yeah. it did it well enough that like, you know, like it was, it was so excited. Cause like, as the music kind of kicked in in that first episode where like the kids are, 
or like riding down the hill after they're playing D and D with each other, and so the music good. comes in. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I like this, and I looked up the composers, and I was like, "I already like these guys. I have some of their music." So, yeah, yeah. What do they survive? Survive, yeah. And they had some. They had some stuff in the guest soundtrack as well, like picked right. by That's Steve right. Moore from Zombie. So. That's right. Yeah, all in good community. Company. Yeah, good company there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, you know, there's all these just it. It is kind of fun. Like, you know, it's easy, I guess, in one sense for me to be like, oh, it sounds like this and it reminds me of that. But it's it can be fun to dig into that level of minutia when you have such an affection for things like this. Mm -hmm. And that's that's both the fun and the like positive aspects of like trading on our nostalgia. And I think Stranger Things does a does a does a pretty good job of like, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm glad Stranger Things didn't go the like scream route of. Like just being winking the entire time. Exactly. Like, I don't know. Maybe I I never felt like it was. And that was sort of a concern. I was like, it's just, and like, I'm glad we're kind of past that. Like that was, I'll admit that was exciting in 1996 when scream was, you know, teaching me the rules of horror movies that I was fairly familiar with already. It it's interesting, but it's, it's nice that we've kind of gotten past that. And, you know, we're like, I feel like stranger things also sort of, improves on the hope that was there in something like super eight, the JJ Abrams movie. Yeah. That in a lot of ways just felt like a, like a wax museum effect of capturing this, the Spielberg style, all that stuff. Like this felt much more lived in. Yeah. And maybe it's the time you have with the characters. I don't know. I don't know what I'm still unpacking it, but like, I know that I much, I responded much more positively to something like stranger things than, than super eight. And a lot of it's ilk that are, that that it, like you said, this has been like this last sort of gasp potentially to bring back the '80s nostalgia. And yeah. while I thought we were done with it, I was sort of done with it. It's like another reminder that well, it can be done. It can be done well and kind of bring you back a little bit. It's nice. Yeah. I, well, I think that there's like there's a kind of narcotic effect, even if you weren't alive during the '80s or at least aware. It's it, because it's been because there have been so many tributes and because it's lived on in some sort of like homage like in some form or another for forever now like it's alive to most people the same way like the 50s like you and i know what the 50s look like despite like it being you know like decades and decades and decades and decades before we existed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know um like we we know what it feels like and so like there's this even if you weren't around for it's like the ghost world effect of being nostalgic for a time you were never a part of (laughs) like there's that kind of like narcotic hum of like this world being open to you and if you take that and combine it with something that's truly character driven and which has exciting plot turns and ambiance and atmosphere and like a new cast it does have that like donnie darko effect of like most of the cast of donnie darko i didn't know you know like i didn't know jake gyllenhaal and maggie gyllenhaal um the What's the father's name in that movie? Oh, um, oh shit, yeah, Osborne, Crosby, or something. It's I think his last name. <laughs> it's uh, Osborne, I think Holmes Osborne. Okay, yeah, Holmes, like he's Love great. The dead. Yeah, yeah. And like there's so there's just like this ensemble of like new people, and like that's what Stranger Things has is like the this this great ensemble. You know, we recognize Winona Ryder, who I think is great, very divisive. A lot of people aren't on board with her performance. Maybe it's written to be too uh, monotone and how shrill and hysterical it is. I think she, 
I think she's great. She's twitchy, but she's mm-hmm. she, yeah. I, I, I'm that's kind like, of more in the middle. That's the type but... of per- character she is. She's an exhausted, overworked single mom. Totally. Like, she's twitchy. So like, ha- just having this thing that isn't strictly relying on the sort of like hits of nostalgia, where it's like, there's a slinky, oh, a Rubik's cube, and it doesn't go any <laughs> further than the surface. Like movies we've griped about that are set in a period piece, where it's like, oh, a VHS of beaches, like. Who gives a shit if it doesn't go any further than that? Yeah, that was the to-do list, right? <laughs> yeah, the Aubrey Plaza movie, oh, which meant well. But, like, it did, if, it's, but, if all of those things are working in the atmosphere and in the cocktail of everything else that's going on, it's, like, it's this, like, perfect storm of immersion, you know? Yeah. Where it's, like, oh, like, it's, there's a poster of, like, the thing in the background, which maybe, you know, like, you could find a flaw in that. Who knows? Um, but, like... <laughs> It's. I just think it's like it's. It's exciting, um, and you know, I, I like if that's it, which it's not going to be it because clearly it's so popular that they're going to come up with a second season. But it's like they did a good job of being like of completing it, but leaving it open to where it's like if that was it, then that's fine. You know, almost like the first season of Eastbound and Down. It was like a mm. perfect long independent film. Right. If it ended where it where the first season ended. But if it picks back up, I like I'm excited for it. But if it's like if it doesn't pick back up, that's okay because I think we have a great sort of capsuled thing. Yeah, yeah, and I I would love like more of this being the um what what how it works out for these. You know, it's a series. It's it's yeah. broken up in episodes, but Stranger Things is just a long movie and I right. think that's the most exciting potential for this new uh, this new, you know, like uh, uh, exhibition format to to stream stuff from your home, um, and and like the ability to kind of just the the fact that you're not tethered by those normal rules of like a movie needs to be two hours and maybe certain mm-hmm. people get to make them longer than that if we deem it uh, yeah. special enough or whatever is is longer movies and playing things out in that way and chaptering it off. And I, it, that's the stuff that could be really positive. I think on the audience, like I, I, you know, I listed off or kind of talked about concerns I have about the way the audience can be trained with these things. But this is a positive thing of like, you know, we, we talk about like short attention spans, but like this will, this could counter that, you know, like if you can sit down and watch something for eight hours, be it all in one sit or, you know, keep it alive in your memory through days and weeks as you parse it out and watch it, that that's, I think that's a positive thing on viewing habits. And that's like the stuff I start to be the most concerned about is these days is like, do people even like, can they even sit through an hour and a half movie anymore? I, I sometimes worry that no, you know, for, for a lot of them. So, well, I wonder counter argument wise, like mm-hmm. I wonder if the micro arcs of like individual episodes are enough to keep people intrigued for like 45 minutes at a time. Right. And then like, that's the end of like that investment in that arc. And then it, once it resets, they're like, okay, I could go again. You know, like as opposed to like a long form investment. Mm. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's like speaks well or sort of speaks of a continuing decline in our attention spans. Well, I'm sure we'll be discussing it, you know, for, for you know, because <laughs> yeah, it's not over. It's not. And, and nostalgia is a thing we've we've talked a lot about on this show. It's it's like something, you know, the, the fucking podcast is called Adjust Your Tracking. Like we trade in it. We we love certain eras that we either lived in or look back on and, you know, like in reverence. But it's something it's it's worth examining. And I think, yeah, it doesn't stop here. Um, I think, you know, just more than anything, like you said, if 
it almost definitely there will be a sequel or a second season of Stranger Things. But mm-hmm. we got something that actually has captured the zeitgeist. People are talking about it, and it kind of deserves to be talked about. And it's sort yeah. of, I think the coolest thing, and again, we don't want theatrical experiences to go away. It's just that like stranger things has captured what has been missing this entire goddamn summer, you know? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> even the biggest hits uh, of the, of the season are really not maintaining much of a, there's just not much chatter out there or like, it just doesn't seem like people care that much. It's like yeah. you did, you did your due diligence. You went and saw the new Pixar movie. You saw the new Marvel movie and people went and saw suicide squad. But um, does any, now that it, people are just complaining about that movie now, like I bet in a week or two, it's, it's going to be over. So yeah. um, it's just nice to see Netflix and this show, this, this uh, long form movie, just like capture something. Um, that's, that's, I think we've, we've been yearning for it. So it's good. It's good things. Good. Things. Yeah. I mean, there's, it seems to be, uh, you know, like it, it focusing on a certain era because of there's, there, there's something inherently interesting about watching dramas play out in a certain era has been, you know, like house of the devil did that, Mm. you know, Ty, Ty West movie from 2009 where it was like, he had to set a movie around the, the satanic cult scare, like in a time where like you couldn't really, you were isolated by, you know, your space and time in like the early eighties. Cause like landlines were the only way to get a hold of anybody. (laughs) And someone being alone in a house had just like a built-in terror to it if he didn't have like a cell phone. Mm. And um, there's a movie that's uh, out theatrically, sort of, and then on VOD uh, called The Mind's Eye. Did you get a chance to watch it, Eric? I did. I watched it last night. So it's set in the early 90s, which is smart because it like, you know, it's like leaving the 80s behind. Um, And it sort of feels like, um, you know, like what are the direct to video like sequels or so some some like part of like what was popular in the 80s like a like a scanner's riff or something like that it's totally. about telekinesis which ties into um stranger things pretty nicely mm-hmm. lots of nosebleeds and both um, <laughs> which the tangerine dream thing you know like i don't know if telekinesis and nosebleeds started with any specific movie but firestarter they showed at the tangerine dream event and so um David Keith definitely gets a lot of nosebleeds in that movie, <laughs> protecting his daughter Drew Barrymore. But um, so this movie, it like it feels like in per, in the performances, in the sort of spirit, in the sort of like ragged kind of uh, exploitation quality of it, it feels like one of those movies that you would catch like at a video store in the '90s. You know, like it's got it's got that quality of being like kind of hysterical at times you know where it's like as excited as the blood splattering is it's also kind of like funny you know in terms of it's like it it's sort of high level pitches it gets to which in the very beginning says this movie should be played loud i i i loved that and one of the (laughs) the moments you're describing is there's a there's a a sex scene that is cut between a guy getting injected with like, uh, to me, that's where the movie takes off. Like that's where like the, the world building is sort of like it's steady and functional enough. But like once it hits that Cronenberg stride of like (laughs) repulsion and kind of like heightened, like has to be hilarious quality. I was like, Oh shit, this movie like went off the rails and is like, 
it, it from then on it just gets deliriously enjoyable for me <laughs> um but you know it's it's just another one of those films that like it I remember the filmmaker afterwards, Joe Bagos, who made Almost Human, and then this is his follow-up movie. He was just talking about, like, I don't want to watch people solve problems now. It's not interesting to me. Like, that. This is, the, these are, this is the era of movies he grew up watching, and so, like, he's, you know, he, he wants to kind of stay firmly planted in that world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm... I, I'm Unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm sort of predisposed to that. My friend Jay Weinbrenner once said, like, man, you were stuck in the 80s. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you can leave me here. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're just fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're fine in the upside down. Yep. I'm, I'll be here counting, alphabetizing my VHSs. There you, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess all in all, I would just say the last, like, the, the only thing is, like, it's it's exciting there is that sort of narcotic rush of getting something you appreciate from the past what you, everything you're describing but um i i also hope criticism doesn't descend into a game of spot the references which no, i feel like course. yeah and i i know that that's part of the fun of something like stranger things but really i would just say like you know i i'm sorry i'm bringing up quentin tarantino again but like look at what that guy does comparatively and he's he's kind of the king of that you know he's he's always been anointed as that referential director and maybe a lot of it is that he he tends to reference things that are less um they're less more obscure exactly right and especially and, the the older he gets like his pool of references are obviously going to be dated you know like cuz totally. he he sort of maligns the 80s as like a time of like kind of cultural deadness in film right which right. I, I don't agree with him, but yeah. that's okay. There's yeah. plenty of he and I would disagree on. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, just would like to see like he, whether or not it's because he's just using more obscure references or not, it's like, he does try to do something more or like build on to the reference. Like it's there to serve a purpose of what the story he's trying to, uh, to tell. And I think the Duffer brothers achieve that in a lot of ways with stranger things, but I also think they fall into the, like the game of like, Oh, this kid's got the thing poster and that kid's got evil dead. And for some reason, this kid's got a jaws poster. It's like, I love all that. I would, I love those posters, but why is that in there? You know, like uh, anyway, just, just, just a, a thing we'll be looking for. Uh, yeah. I think that's what we were, that's what we sort of touched on earlier with movies that are strictly referencing the surface of things like right. where that's, that's the end point. That's the joke. Like if it, if it isn't anchored by characters and the actors performing the characters and the storylines being immersive, then it's like, <laughs> look, look at their hair. His, their bangs are so high, you know, like who gives a shit. And so like, that's just like the dressing, you know, like that's just like the, the basically like the, the accenting of something that's already immersive with a show like, you know, stranger things where it's like the trapper keeper perfectly framed between two actors in front of a locker. You're like, Awesome. I know what that is. <laughs> However, that's not the focal point. I'm actually interested in what they're saying to each other because of like their their chemistry and their exchange and everything that's going on. You know, like if everything's humming and working like the way it should be, then it all kind of like aligns and it's it's good. Yep, there's a difference for sure. We really haven't gone full um 
90s nostalgia, you know? I think you and I have talked about, like, what movies could be potentially rebooted from the 90s on an episode. Am I wrong? Did we no, not talk yeah, about that? It was a while ago, but yes, yes. It's always something that I've, I've thought about, and, like, you know, New Beverly does, like, they did like a nineties month, which eighties months have been happening at like revival houses forever now. And so like everybody knows like what those picks are going to be typically, but it's like, what's what rises above or what's hysterically of its time that deserves to be sort of like rewatched. So here's a movie that's like, maybe not as widely seen as a lot of the other stuff in the nineties, but it's so of its time. And uh, it's my pick for hold up. Um, it's Richard Linklater's Ooh. Suburbia, Ooh, based I'm... on a play by Eric Bogosian, and it's so ranty and just so just like dripping with mid to late '90s malaise and just like crankiness. And I feel like people are angry nowadays to the point where like you know you don't even really want to be on social media because you're tired of like a a type of anger and a type of vitriol and a type of Mm self-righteousness but there's a way that it's done in this movie from what i remember have not seen it in a long time that like that does it and it's like it's definitely a left-leaning movie it's like a lefty ranty movie and so it's just like, I feel like rants have been co-opted. We talked about this when we discussed Bobcat Goldthwait's uh, God Bless America. But it's like the rant has been co-opted by the Rush Limbaugh kind of like right-wingy sect and the the Alex Jones kind of like, everything's a conspiracy, you know? Like, <laughs> and so like this movie has all of that, like in the 90s where there was still plenty grumpy about but it was definitely not gun barrel dire as it kind of feels right now there was there was like a luxury to being pissed off back then you know with like good way to put it grunge being like not that far in the rearview mirror and just everybody being like i hate it you know like there was just something (laughs) about it that like that movie still had like a, a crackling life to it that like i took it and from the play i would like Every audition possible, I would, uh, you know, like audition with a monologue from Suburbia. Oh, nice. Very nice. So we're bringing it really back for you then with this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you haven't, you said you haven't watched since. I haven't seen it in a long time. I've watched like clips recently to sort of refresh myself with like the the tone of the bitchiness in the movie. Because it's just like, it's. It, it's interesting how like this year, um, Everybody Wants Some came out, which is considered the spiritual kind of uh, relative to Dazed and Confused. But Suburbia, even though it's based on a script that um, Richard Linklater didn't write, is like the sort of dark, it's like the miscarriage of one of those movies where it's just like the dark offspring of like that sense of hanging out all night because it's a hangout all night movie, Mm -hmm. but it's in this like barren convenience store parking lot where they just can consider the emptiness of contemporary existence, contemporary being 1996. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to, to cringe at the fashions and to, you know, take in some of that self-righteous anger. Yeah, that'll be fun, man. Because, like I said, any any link later I can catch up with is a good thing, you know. And you have not seen it ever. I, I have never seen this one. This and uh, Newton Boys I've never seen, and there's a couple others. But uh, you know, I've I've been pretty good about keeping track of his stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's one of the ones that you know just never even really was on my radar in 1996. So. Interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in 1996, dude, I was going to see like Twister and Independence Day. <laughs> I was seeing the bullshit that's, you know, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, not as discerning um, back then, but. Um, yeah, super exciting. I mean, that's one of the fun things about Hold Up is just getting to catch up with some stuff I've never seen. But uh, also, you know, more Linklater to be discussed is always a good thing because yeah. uh, and, and uh, I'm glad you brought up Everybody Wants Them. Like, we should just shout it out again next episode because, goddamn, man, how long ago does that seem like it came out? Like, remember w- when good movies were sort of coming out earlier this year? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was like a stride of like, the nice special, oh, Green Room, oh, everybody wants some. Oh, wait, where are we? What happened? Where did these movies go? <laughs> Gone. Yeah, and you're like, well, The Lobster, it hung out for a while. That was yeah, good. Yeah, that's true. That's about it, man. So, <clears throat> very exciting. Yeah, so next episode will be a, a mostly a documentary heavy episode, but uh, we're, you know, we're going to go from reality to cranky late 90s well with that why don't we wrap up episode 135 of adjust your tracking we uh, we are, of course, brought to you by the uh, the playlist. Uh, you can find all our episodes and other podcasts affiliated with the Playlist Podcast Network uh, over at theplaylist.net. Um, we've got a podcast tab you can click on, find all the current shows. Um, we are yeah, um, there's also uh, uh, Over Under Movies is another show that we do on the network. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts on there. There'll be a new episode coming soon. Uh, and then also the playlist podcast, the an, another show that I host. Um, so uh, I, I'm doing a lot over there. <laughs> I guess if you aren't getting sick of my voice, you can hear it on those other shows. And we are looking to add a TV show coming soon from a few uh, fellow playlister uh, playlist writers. So that'll be exciting. Look forward to that. And yeah, we had a bit of a gap of episodes here, um, mostly uh, some some of which had to do with uh, you know just schedules. Uh, uh, I was out of town. Mm-hmm. And also, just uh, not much worth discussing in movie land. So um, we're, we're. Yeah, I think that's changing. That's going to shift. Like we're totally. Like, August is awful. Don't get me wrong, but like <laughs> we're we're seem to be covered for August, and then we're into fall. So fall it'll just be a, time. Yeah, it'll just be about parsing through the titles that we can fit in because they're going to inundate us with lots of at least stuff that looks at least worth watching. So yeah. So yeah, we'll be diving into to more. Uh, there'll there'll definitely be more episodes coming. But yeah, I just needed a little summer breather to get away from. Uh, why not unplug when there's really not much uh, that demands our attention? I would yeah. say. So yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, find us over at theplaylist.net. Um, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. What about what, what's the Twitter uh, handle, Joe? At adjustyourtrack. Um, you know, come come get us come get us come follow us and uh we'd be very thankful if you did we're we're of course thankful to rodrigo perez and everybody else at the playlist that uh helped make these shows possible uh behind the scenes it super producer drew walner uh helping out yep he's been helping out getting our itunes feed things set up eventually we'll we will be separating all the itunes feeds for the shows so um you know just keep paying attention we'll let you know when that happens for now everything is on one itunes feed and, um, you know, the, the, the person I have to, to thank last, but of course, most important is you, Joe. So thanks for talking with me today. Thanks, Eric.